You can turn in your Bible to Luke. Luke chapter 10. Verse 13 to 16. It'll be in Afrikaans on the screen. And I'm going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Luke chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. And the theme is hell as a motivation for evangelism. Die hel as a motivering vir evangelisatie. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you the Most High, the Lord of glory, the exalted one, the righteous God of heaven and earth, we seek to draw near with humble hearts, though we know, Lord, sometimes our hearts, it feels like we are as proud as the devil. But we humble ourselves before you this morning. O oh Lord, our hearts indeed are broken today with Paul and Azeta. Their sadness is our sadness. As Kuas said, truly, if one member suffers, we all suffer together. Lord, bear them up. I prayed this a number of times this week and once again this morning, let the everlasting arms of the Almighty One be beneath them. Carry them. Strengthen them, Lord. We, in some sense, we cannot feel their pain, Lord. Your word even tells us the heart feels its own pain. No one shares that. But then we are comforted by your word that you feel their pain. You understand their suffering. I pray that you would strengthen, encourage and comfort them. And also our church, as this is a heavy blow for us to see our brother and sister suffer like this. And so for others in the church, people with um, medical problems, physical problems, illness, thankful that Tani Ana is back and we pray for your blessing on her, for Tani Ani, with her backache and her pain and Lord, many others, many others in our church, if we would have to mention, then we would pray for each and every one. Because who has not got a trial to bear? Who has not got suffering that we go through as Christians? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. And so we pray that you would carry us right to the end. To the end of our days, but also to the end of the earth. According to your promise. And lo, or behold, I am with you all the days unto the end of the age. Carry your people, be our shepherd, and carry us forever. Speak to us now from your word, and give us an ear to understand. Yes, Lord, it is probably not easy for everyone to follow the English as well, but I do pray that you would give us an ear to understand, and a heart to receive your truth, and to live obediently as children of the living God. Amen. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon, the, the most famous sermon, sermon in American history. It was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
And he preached it in Enfield in New England in the United States. And as he was preaching, people started getting anxious and worried and afraid. And people cried out aloud during his preaching, What must I do to be saved? And a revival broke out. And God saved many people, not only in that church, but in all of New England. The revival broke out and the revival spread and many sinners were converted. Now, not everyone, everyone had appreciation and appreciated Edwards' sermon. In 1961, this was in the 1700s that he preached that. But in 1961, a certain Phyllis McGinley wrote in a very negative sense about the sermon. And she said, if they had been taught aright, small children carried bedwards, they would shudder lest they meet that night the God of Mr. Edwards. Abraham's God, the angry one, intolerant of error. Not God the Father, nor the Son, but God the Holy Terror. Well, that is a very wrong interpretation of Edward's sermon. I remember hearing a pastor, this is about 20 years ago now, I heard a pastor say to someone else that Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and he went all over all around New England preaching the sermon to various churches. That is not true. Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon to his own church and then once more he preached that sermon in Enfield and the revival broke out. So it's not true to say that Jonathan Edwards was this angry preacher who just wanted to frighten people with hell. That's not true. Jonathan Edwards actually, I read a whole section of Edwards on heaven and it's even more glorious than his teaching on hell. And the wonders discovered there of Edward's teaching on heaven. So Jonathan Edwards wasn't a hellfire and brimstone preacher, as if that's the only topic he knew to preach about. And yet, Edwards did not turn a blind eye to the reality and the truth of hell. Edwards followed the model of Jesus himself, where Jesus used the topic and the truth and the reality of hell to warn people to flee, to run away from the judgment that will come. Jesus used it as a motivation for evangelism. And we see it in this passage. So let's read Luke chapter 10, verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So let's look at these Three places. First of all, we're going to look at the first two, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Chorazin and Bethsaida, verse 13 and 14. Now, when we are shocked, uh, just human beings in general, or if there's something that really terrifies you and it horrifies you, what do you do? Well, most people will do something like this. Shake their head and they in dismay. They, it's unbelievable. Or just whistle through their teeth or a small a little You've seen that. And maybe you've even done that. And in South Africa, we, we add to that, yo, or ish. 
<laughs> okay, that's our slang. Uh, we add something to that. Now, in the Bible, what they would do in biblical times, in Jesus' time, what they would do if they horrified, if they shocked, they would say, whoa, or in Hebrew, oi, oi, they, uh, or the Greek, oi. Uh, so that's the word woe here, via in Afrikaans. In verse 13, woe, that's, that's, that's an expression of sadness, of, of condemnation, of shock, of horror, of intense anxiety over some terrible thing that has happened. So what Jesus is doing when he says, woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida, what he's doing is it's utter shock, it is indescribable, it is horrifying, it is terrifying what is going to happen to them. As I go out into the streets evangelizing and I meet people, just in the past three weeks, two different people said to me when I spoke to them about hell, they said to me, no, this is hell. This world is hell. Because they go through hard times, they go through difficult times. Jesus says, no, this is not hell. Here you still experience God's goodness. Jesus says in verse 13, woe to you. Something is coming. And in verse 14 again, the judgment is coming. This is not hell. Here you experience God's goodness. You've got sunshine. You've got rain. You've got electricity. Not this morning. <laughs> but we've got generators. Uh, and you enjoy good food and you enjoy friendships. And you've got eyes to see and ears to hear. And even if you don't, you've got other senses. You've still got fresh air you can breathe. Hell is a place where you have none of that. None of the goodness of God. None of His good gifts. No enjoyment. Hell is a place of suffering and pain. Revelation 14 verse 10 and 11. The smoke of their torment or the judgment or... Uh, God's punishment of them, that smoke rises up forever and ever, day and night, they have no rest. It, hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. God is a righteous God. God is a righteous judge. God will not sweep sin under the carpet. God will judge and God will punish. And it can be no other. It cannot be anything else than that. Because the people in hell keep on hating God and they keep on cursing the God of heaven, as Revelation 16 verse 10 and 11 tells us. Because, because they keep on sinning, therefore the punishment will continue. A ewige sonde verdien a ewige straf. En Jesus praat selfs in Markus 3 vers 29 van a ewige sonde, wat hulle hou net aan. So it's not as if in hell they want to repent and they're really sorry for their sins. All they don't want is the consequences of sin. But they want sin, and they want to continue in sin. And so Jesus now tells these two cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida in verse 13, Woe to you. To you it will be extra bad. The judgment will be it's like it's loaded. This extra erg, die straf wat op hulle gaan wees, Chorazin en Bethsaida. They, uh, these two towns were on the, the north coast of the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. So why will the punishment be worse for them? As Jesus says in verse 14, uh, Woe to you, Chorazin, verse 13, Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done in you, it would be done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashen. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Why is that? It's because Jesus did miracles in their midst. Jesus preached in their midst. Jesus came to those towns 
I've got a number of references here, Bible references that show all the miracles Jesus did there. If Jesus had to do those miracles in Tyre and Sidon, which weren't even Jewish cities, they were, they were Gentiles. If Jesus had to do that, Jesus himself says, they would have repented long ago. Just like, remember Nineveh? Nineveh, it was not even a Jewish city. It wasn't an Israelite city. They were pagans. They were Gentiles. They didn't believe in God, the God of Israel. And they repented when Jonah preached. But Jesus now says to these people, I did all these miracles in your midst. You saw me. You heard my preaching. You did not repent. You know, there are few things that hardens a sinner so much than when he hears the truth week in and week, week out and he does nothing about it. Die hard word hard. So, so it's very bad if you're a prostitute or a murderer or a corrupt politician or a robber or a drug addict or whatever. It's very bad. It's very dangerous. But you know what is more dangerous? When you sit in church week in and week out, you hear the word of God, you sit under the teaching of the scriptures of God's holy word, and you do nothing about it. That's a serious thing, and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. An English preacher in the 1800s by the name of J.C. Ryle said, it's not, it's not open, open sin. It's not open sin alone that ruins the soul. All you have to do is sit still and do nothing. When the gospel is pressed on you, when you hear the word of God, when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, you too will one day find yourselves in hell, he says. You need not run into an excess of riot and you just absolutely yourself No, you need not openly oppose true religion. All you have to do is remain cold and careless and indifferent and unmoved and unaffected and your end will be in hell. No sin makes less noise, but none so surely damns the soul as unbelief. The saddest road to hell, said J.C. Ryle, is that road that runs under the pulpit past the Bible, through the midst of warnings and invitations, when you've been invited again and again, turn to the Lord Jesus, come to Christ, believe in the Son of God. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you hear all of that, and you turn a deaf ear and a blind eye. You know, I'm really concerned. I'm really worried about people who hear the gospel week in and week out, People who attend good churches, gospel preaching churches. People who have the internet. They have internet access. They can listen to good preaching on the internet and download good sermons. And yet they do not repent. What's going to happen to you is what happened to me when I was in high school and when I was a, st a student. I was a gymnast. I did gymnastics for 10 years. And from all the swinging on the high bar and the parallel bars and so on, uh, you get calluses, ilta, calluses on your hands, and it becomes hard. And then you can even take a needle and stick it right through the callus. You don't feel anything. That's how your conscience becomes. Your conscience and your heart becomes calloused. It becomes hard when you keep on hearing the word and you don't repent. And in the end, God, God does to you what he did to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
He hardens your heart. He gives you what you want. He gives you over to your own sin and He breaks you. And there's no healing from that. And then what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, then you will hear and hear. You can still sit in a church. You can still come. You can still hear the gospel. You will hear and hear, but you will not understand. You can look and look, but you will not see. And so then on judgment day, it will be more bearable for the Taliban. It will be more bearable for the communists of North Korea than for you. And that is what Jesus says in verse 14. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now I take two lessons from that. I don't know if you saw that. There are degrees of punishment in hell. So it's not, oh, yes, I know hell is eternal for every godless person, but there are degrees of punishment. There is stricter punishment and there is lighter punishment. As that verse says, it'll be more bearable for them. As verse 12 says, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. As chapter 12, verse 47 and 48 says, that the servant who knew his master's will and was disobedient will receive a stricter beating, a stricter punishment than the the servant, he didn't know the master's will and he was disobedient. He's going to receive a lighter punishment, although both will receive punishment. And then uh, Judas, for example. Uh, it's, Jesus said of Judas, it will be better for Judas if he had never been born. Uh, and Acts chapter 1, Anderlinger, verse 25. It says, Judas has gone to his own place. His own place, like there's a special place of judgment for Judas in hell. A special place. Because he knew the truth. He saw it all. Jesus even said, you know, we often say there's no such thing as big sin and little sin. That's not true. Jesus said in John chapter 19 verse 11, Judas is guilty of a greater sin than Pontius Pilate. Al Martin and Fred Zaspel say, it is a fool, it is a fool who says, I'm going to hell, so I might as well enjoy my sin in the meantime. I'm going to hell anyway. That is a fool. Every sin you do adds to the punishment. It would be better, they say, to die a young man than to keep on sinning and you're just adding and adding and adding to the judgment you will receive. As Romans chapter 2 verse 5 says, you are storing up for yourself wrath, anger, judgment. By continuing in sin. People who think hell is a party, and I've even heard, heard that kind of thing, that people think we're going to hell, but at least all my friends are going together, we're going to have a big party. You don't know what you are saying. You don't know what you're talking about when you speak of hell that way. Hell is not a place where you're going to be together. Hell is lonely. It's a place of darkness. Heaven is a place of fellowship, of family, uh, uh, Christian family, brothers and sisters being together, of having a great feast, of joy. In hell you suffer alone. It's lonely. Another thing that made their punishment worse, when Jesus says, Korah and Abisida, your punishment will be worse than, than Tyre and Sidon, is Tyre and Sidon, they didn't know what they could have had. Bethsaida and Chorazin, they saw Jesus. They saw His miracles. They heard the good news of eternal life. They knew what they could have had, but they're not going to have it because they rejected it all. They spat in Jesus' face, metaphorically speaking. 
uh, an illustration, maybe two illustrations, one biblical and one that my sister uh, told me that I thought was quite good. The one is in Luke 13 where Jesus says, you will see people coming from the north, the south, the east and the west, how they enter the kingdom, how they sit at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at the great feast. And you yourselves will be cast out. So you knew what you could have. And you're not getting it because you rejected it. You did not want it. And the second illustration then is it's like you invite someone for leg of lamb. I almost said sheep's bum. <laughs> so you invite someone to your house uh, for leg of lamb. And you're going to have roast potatoes, leg of lamb and ice cream for pudding and chocolate sauce and then you invite two friends separately and when they come to your house you have Royko Kappa soup the dog died your boy was climbing the tree he fell out of the tree and broke his arm and what else happened no power, thank you. And it was such a hectic day, you just, you couldn't get round to making the leg of lamb and the roast potatoes and so on. And you couldn't even get to the shop to buy ice cream. They were closed because no power and the ice cream melted. Thank you. <laughs> so now when the two friends come, not one of them likes soup. And you didn't quite know that. So now they're having Royko Kappa soup. Who's going to enjoy it less? The one who knew what you would have had. Leg of lamb, roast potato, ice cream and chocolate sauce. And the other one, he's not enjoying it, but he didn't know. It's the same here. Corazon and Bethsaida, you knew what you could have had. And so the punishment will be greater and more unbearable for them than for Tyre and Sidon. He's Gentile cities. So don't throw away the chances and the opportunities God gives you. Even today, you've got the opportunity. You're sitting in this church. You come here week by week. People watch this online, online week by week. You live in oh, South Africa. You've got the internet. You can download uh, good sermons on the internet of great preachers. It will be very sad. What a sad day that will be. If you, after all these privileges that God has given you, gospel privileges, if you are lost and if you go to hell, what a sadness. That will be a punishment that is more than you can bear. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. Why keep on postponing? Why always put off one day, one day? Who knows when one day will be? One day perhaps will never come for you. So why not now? What is your excuse? Why are you putting off? Why are you delaying? Why not come to Jesus even now? The Son of God, His arms are open. You see, with the eye of faith, you can see the marks of the nails in His hands and His feet and the wound in His side. Jesus who loved you and died for sinners. Come today. The second lesson that I draw from this is not point number two. Just I'm giving you two lessons from verse 13 and 14. The one I said that there are degrees of punishment. The second lesson is 
that even if Tyre and Sidon, those two cities that weren't in Israel, even if those two cities never heard about Jesus, they will still be punished. And that is the same for anywhere in the world. Even if they never heard the gospel, the judgment will still come. Though it's a lighter punishment, it is punishment nonetheless. Why? Because they had, certain, they had a certain amount of light. What was that light that God shone upon them? That is Romans chapter 1. They knew there's a creator. They could see it from the creation. Just as you know there's a builder that built this building, though you never met the builder. You can see there's design. So they knew there's a creator, and yet they chose. And uh, number two, they have a conscience. They have a conscience that is inbuilt. God made them like that. They knew what is right and what is wrong. And yet they chose, I will do the wrong. And yet they chose, I will not serve or seek this creator. If they had done that, then Acts chapter 10 would have happened. God would have sent a messenger to preach the gospel to them. And yet they did not want that. They continued in sin. They continued in rebellion against God. So do not say that those islands somewhere or those places where there are savages living, North Sentinel Island, do not say that they will be saved anyway, regardless. Even they did not hear about Jesus, we know that, and that means they, they're innocent. They are not innocent. They knew of the Creator God, and they yet they chose to worship the creature instead. Number two, Capernaum, verse 15 and 16. Now, for some reason, because I'm a pastor, people who visit our church maybe for the first or second time, and then I get to know them, and then very soon into the conversation, they tell me, do you know, do you know Pastor Jones? Of So I'm a pastor, that means I know all pastors. It's like uh, Rian has been to the United States. And then you say to him, hey, I've heard you've been to the... Do you know my cousin? He's also been to the United States. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> and so, so then it's like people have this idea, oh, I must know all other pastors. Can you do any more? It's hate my gedoop. So it's like when this pastor, because he baptized you, now that's... That, does something spiritual to you because it was this very well-known preacher in some circles and, and that means you that's your one-way ticket to heaven. That's what Capernaum did. They did exactly that kind of thing in principle. They thought, oh, Capernaum, this is the, it's like the headquarters of Jesus because Jesus went to live in Capernaum according to Matthew chapter 4 in verse 13 and he started his ministry there and they thought, Oh, Jesus is preaching in our town. This is the headquarters of Jesus of, of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah. And he did all these miracles in our midst. Hey, I heard Jesus preach and I saw his miracles. That's my one-way ticket to heaven. And many people, they, they actually deceive themselves that way. self. They think because of some association to, they were baptized and uh, they were catechized. They went through Sunday school. And they were accepted into membership in some church. And, and their parents even told them. And the pastor even told them, you're a covenant child. And so they think, or maybe in our circles, you, you, you responded to an altar call. And you came to the front and you were baptized with so-called adult baptism. Uh, or maybe even a step further, you accept Reformed theology. 
this is Calvinistic theology. And so because it's Reformed theology, hey, I believe that. And, and that means that's my passport to heaven. Listen, to see Jesus preach, to see Jesus' miracles, to hear Jesus preach, that is not sufficient. That is not enough. The question is, what will you do with Jesus of Nazareth? What will you do in response to his preaching and his great works? Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed in him? Have you trusted the Son of God? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Do you love Christ? Do you obey Christ? Do you follow the Lamb? To see Jesus... To hear Jesus without repentance and faith, that will just lead to pride. So that's the kind of thing, hey, so uh, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Bethlehem. I'm from Capernaum. I know Jesus was born in your town, but I saw him preach. I shook Jesus' hand. After a sermon once, I went up to him and I shook his hand. and um, I heard Jesus, or maybe in our terms, people would say, yeah, I was at a conference. I've got a photo with John Piper and myself standing together. Steve Lawson signed my book. I asked him a book he wrote. I've got his... Help me, Novi. His autograph. Thank you. His autograph. Yes, uh, Vody Buckham. I was at a conference and I shook his hand. Shook Vody's hand. You know, did you know that I'm a friend of a friend of John MacArthur's friend? That just leads to pride. If you've got that kind of knowledge, then it's verse 15, where Jesus says, You, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Oh, you're exalted to heaven. Your head is in the clouds because you saw Jesus preach or you heard Jesus preach and you saw Jesus' miracles. That's just, that just puffs you up if you've got that kind of knowledge. And, and that kind of knowledge leads to a fall because he says, you'll be exalted to heaven. What's going to happen? You'll be brought down to hell. You'll be brought down to Hades. You think that knowledge is something that really helps? No, that's the kind of knowledge the devil has. Where the devil says, I will be like the Most High. I will be exalted to heaven, just like Capernaum. And Satan was cast down. If you have a true knowledge of Jesus that makes you humble, that humbles you, it, it, it makes you realize you are nothing. In comparison to Jesus, it makes you like the prodigal son, the, the Philodicean. He says, I am not worthy to be called your son. It makes you like Abraham, who said, I, I'm just dust and ashes. I'm nothing. It makes you like Jacob in Genesis 32. Lord, I, I'm not worthy of the least of all these gifts. You've done so much for me. It makes you like uh, the, the tax collector, just beating his breast, standing in the back of the temple, beating on his chest and saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. The true knowledge of Jesus makes you like Job, sitting in dust and ashes, sitting on the ash heap, saying, Lord, I've spoken too soon. I've only heard of you. Now my eyes have seen you. The true knowledge of Jesus will make you humble, like it did Isaiah when he saw the king. Woe is me. I am undone. Via me. It'll make you like that Roman centurion, that Roman soldier, that Roman captain. He said, I'm not worthy for Jesus to come under my roof. Who am I? He's Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. You'll be like John the Baptist. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, to loosen his sandal strap. I'm not. 
Who am I? He must increase. He must become more. I must become less. You'll be like the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all believers, of all Christians, of all the saints. I'm the greatest sinner. And if you humble yourself like that, then God will come to you. I know we struggle with pride, even as Christians, but let us humble ourselves, or the Lord will humble us. So if you humble yourself, then God, yes, He's high and lifted up, but He also comes, and where does He live? With those who have a humble heart. Isaiah 57, verse 15. It's like Richard Sibbs, uh, an English preacher in the 1600s, he said, a Puritan preacher, he said, that it's like all the, the rainwater that flows down from the hills into the valley. So if you are low, if you're in the valley, you are low before God, you humble yourself, then all God's grace and all His mercies will flow to you. And if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And the higher you climb, the further you will fall. Verse 15, you think you will be exalted to heaven. You're exalting yourself, Capernaum. You will be cast down to hell. You will be cast down to Hades. That's the Greek word. Hades, it means, it means the invisible place or the place of the invisible ones. It's the place of, it's the world of the dead. It's, it's a place of punishment according to Luke 16 verse 23 and 24. You remember the rich man and Lazarus? And so the rich man is in Hades. It's a place of punishment. He says, I'm suffering in these flames. So that's just in plain language what Jesus means is, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, you are going to hell. Now some people are going to say this, and I've seen their, their articles, and I've seen their newspaper, uh, the articles in newspapers and on blog posts, they're going to say, you fundamentalists. They call us fundamentalists. If you believe the Bible, you're a fundamentalist. Now, I'm not talking about what they mean in America by that. I'm talking about liberals in South Africa. They look at us conservatives. Uh, you fundamentalists and your view of hell, that's just a scare tactic. It's a scare tactic. It comes from the medieval church, the middle church in the Middle Ages. It's, it's because of some Greek influence of Neoplatonism. There's Greek influences, and that's why you believe in hell. Just answer me this question. What I've, what I've showed you so far this morning, what have I said different from what Jesus says? I've just showed you what Jesus says. I've just showed you what the apostles say. The rest of the Bible tells us. Jesus says here, Jesus is so serious about this. Jesus condemns five cities here. Five cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Tyre and Sidon. Just like he did in the Old Testament when five cities were destroyed in Genesis chapter 19. And that is only a preview of hell. Jude. Judas in the Old Testament. Ach, in the Afrikaans. Tweede laatste boek van die Bijbel. Jude chapter, uh, verse 7. Jude verse 7. Jesus Oh, uh, Jude writes about fire that came out of heaven and it destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, that is just an example of the punishment that will come upon the ungodly. That's just an example of the punishment of eternal fire that they are undergoing present tense. 
And the worst punishment, as I've already said, the worst punishment will be for those who knew the truth. They knew, they saw, and they rejected Jesus Christ and said, I will climb to heaven. Verse 15, I don't need Jesus. I'll have my own way to heaven. I'll get there without Jesus. Do you know why God hates that? The reason God hates that is because indirectly you are saying... God is not a holy God. He's not serious about my sin. And my 50%, my 50% poging, my 50%, what's help me now here? Probeer slag. Effort. Dank jy, ek nie geweet ek moet in Engels spreek nie. My 50% effort. That's acceptable to God. And it's his job to forgive. And you think hell is, totally unnecessary. This whole business of hell, it's unnecessary. It's just a cruel God who is, he fluctuates like the weather. I saw a vispeltire, up and off, and now it's cold, and now it's hot, and then it rains, and then the sun shines, and God is like that. He's, he's capricious, and he just, he's a sadist. He likes hurting people, and that's what hell is all about. And on purpose, very purposefully, you look past things like that you say, I don't want this God to rule over me. I don't want this God to tell me what I must do. I will do what I want. You overlook the fact, purposefully you overlook this fact, that again and again and again, Jesus says, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. You would not. You rejected all of this. You purposefully overlook the fact that God again and again sent His messengers, sent His goodness, sent His kindness, sent His gospel. And after all of that, you rejected that. And then what must we say? What must we say, my friend? Then must we not say with 2 Chronicles 35 verse 16, there is no other way. When there is no other outcome, there is no other way out of this. After all God has done. And we reject that. And so what, what C.S. Lewis said, actually this is a summary of C.S. Lewis's teaching on hell, but what he said then, that's true of you. The sinner says throughout his whole life, go away from me, God. Hell is God's answer to that. Go away, leave me alone. God's answer is, you may have your wish. I will leave you alone. And that is hell. So warn people. Warn people about this. Warn even children. I know some parents are afraid. We don't want to scare our children. This is reality. This is real. We need to warn them. Be open. Be honest. Jesus was honest. Jesus didn't say, you know, I'm just going to scare people with this teaching. I might as well say nothing about it. No, Jesus spoke the truth in love. And we should do the same. How else will you understand the love of God? How else will you understand the cross of Jesus Christ for our sins if you don't understand hell? Then it's not good news. Then it's just news. Then it's, well, it's not so bad. And I don't need it so bad. I don't need the death of Jesus because, no, we need the death of Jesus. Because hell is a reality. And we must see the love of God. Remember when Jesus died on that cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can almost see that as if God covers the world in darkness. 
Because he, it's like he's saying, I do not want to see, the world must not see what I have to do to my son when the father pours the anger and the judgment that we deserve upon his son. And Jesus takes that willingly, willingly for us, for our sins. Oh, see the love of God against the, the backdrop of the darkness of hell when Jesus took that upon himself. For us. Why? Why should we be serious? Where is that? These are gospel tracts. They in the foyer. As you go out, you'll see them. I printed a number of them. I wrote this maybe eight years ago, nine years, ten years ago, even. Uh, you can find them there. So take some of these. The one is, what is the meaning of life? And the other one is, who is Jesus Christ? And at the back I explain the gospel. And our church's phone number, or at least my phone number, the church's name is there. So take that. Give that to the petrol attendant. Give that to the security guard. Give that to the car guard. Give that to a colleague. Give that to a child. Why? Why is that even necessary? If hell is not real. It's just... If you want to. That's not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, you see Paul saying, we've got this message. Because we, uh, of course, read it in 2 Corinthians 5.11. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We know what is coming. And we warn people, flee, flee, run to the Son of God. And be saved all the ends of the earth. Timothy, says the Apostle Paul. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel. Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming. Death is near. I remember hearing a sermon on hell by D.A. Carson, a Canadian theologian. I was so moved by that. I was, I think, about 22 years old. And I went to the shop across the street from my house. I went to the shop and I spoke to two people there about Jesus. And I remember how that sermon moved me and it brought me to all seriousness and soberness to talk about Jesus and His salvation for sinners. If we do not warn people, it means, and I know often we don't, we become lazy spiritually, but if we don't warn people, it means one of two things. Either you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe what He's saying, you think this is not real, or on the other hand, you don't care that people go lost, that people are lost and people are going to hell. That's not the Apostle Paul. Paul wept, Paul cried, Jesus even cried over sinners, lost sinners. And I'm ashamed this morning that my eyes are dry. I cannot weep for lost people. R.C. Sproul tells the story. He says when he was in college, one of his lecturers, one of his teachers said that Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards was a, a sadist, sadistis. Jonathan Edwards, that's just sadistic liking to warn people about hell. 
And R.C. Sproul responded to his teacher, to his lecturer, and he said, no, no, the sadist is the one who says there's no hell. And then on his way home, he giggles for having fooled people, for having tricked people into thinking there's no hell. And then they plunge headfirst into eternal damnation. That is sadistic. When you know something is true and you hide it from people. I remember my friend Seth Myers preaching in this pulpit more than probably must have been 15 years ago at least. He preached in this pulpit from Luke 16. You remember the, the story at the end of the, the rich man and Lazarus? And then Lazarus, uh, the rich man in hell. And then he says, Abraham, please send someone. Send someone to warn my brothers. I've got five brothers. They must not come to this place. And then Seth said this in the, sermons, we need, in the sermon. We need evangelists who have seen the other world. We need evangelists, says John Piper, who smell the smoke of hell on the one side and feel the crisp breezes of heaven on the other side. We need evangelists like Jonah, although he was very disobedient, but man, if you've been in a fish's stomach for three days and the acid, stomach acid of the fish has started working on your skin and your skin is... Well, buy of it. Speed of it. sparrow whitening. But your skin is all white. You go and preach to people. You must repent. God's judgment is coming upon you. And then they listen. We need evangelists who, who it's like they've been plucked from the fire, like a wood from a, from a dry place. You've been plucked out of the fire. You've been pulled out of the fire. And these evangelists, like they, their clothes almost still, you can still smell the smoke on them. Just say, I was saved from judgment. And we warn people against the coming judgment. Now, some people are going to listen, verse 16. Those who listen to you, well, it's because they listen to me. And it's really God opening their hearts and opening their ears. I can't brag when someone listens when I preach. It wasn't me. It was the Lord who opened their hearts. And some people are going to reject you. They don't want to hear what you say. They want to say thanks, but no thanks. And the reason they reject you, Jesus says in verse 16, is because they reject him. And the reason they reject him is because they reject the Father who sent him. They don't want it. Okay, so? They don't want the message. Don't change your message to suit them. Don't change the message. Don't make it soft and say, okay, I'll change it a bit for you. We don't change the message. They must change and come in line with God's message. They must repent. They must turn to Christ. Don't try and make it more acceptable. You preach the truth in love and you trust God that His Spirit can take the Word, His Spirit can take the Gospel and use it as a hammer to break rock in pieces, to break that hardened heart. The Holy Spirit of God can remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So as, as much as we can, please, please, there, there, I think there are about 300 that I printed. As much as we can, let's get this message to people, the good news of Jesus. I know being afraid of hell doesn't take you to heaven. I understand that. I know this is not the only motive for evangelism, evangelism but it's, it's one of the motives. So take the tracts, hand them out, talk to people, or if you don't know how, just give them the tract and say, have a nice day. But let's do something and, and 
And as Spurgeon said, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will go to hell, at least let them go to hell over our bodies. Let them, they'll have to climb over our bodies. Let, let them go to hell. If they will perish, then let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees to say, Don't go there. Begging them to stay and not madly destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, our warnings. We're begging them. Let no one go to hell unwarned and unprayed for. Our Father in heaven, I think first and foremost, may I start by confessing my own coldness and hardness of heart, Lord. How can our hearts be so calloused and so hardened that we do not care for others? Or even a step beyond that, for some sitting here today, that they so hardened they do not even care about their own souls. O oh Lord, if they will not weep for their own souls, let us weep for their souls. Let us plead. Let us pray for their souls and for their salvation. And let us love them, Lord. Pour your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom you have given to us. And change us to love sinners like you loved sinners, to love sinners like you loved us and saved us. And please would you add to our numbers those who are being saved. In Jesus' name, Amen.